Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm Alex and with me tonight I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Good evening, Alex. Yeah, it's good to be here. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, obviously, it's been a, a good week uh, following the, the win over Bristol, so uh, we're in good spirits. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and look, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that Peterborough game first of all, but it is great to see that the trends continued, that we were able to follow a loss with a victory. Um, we'll, we'll look at that Peterborough game first, though, and, and it, it was a bit of a head-scratcher, as, um, as McGann put it. It, it, was, it was a bit of a strange one in the sense that we actually arguably played better than Peterborough did and, and, and created more of, um, more of the better chances in the match um, up until the point where they scored two goals, unfortunately. Um, how, how did you see it? And, and did you think the result was a fair reflection on the match? I'd have to agree with McCann in the sense that I thought it was some of the most attractive football we've, we've seen uh, City play at this level, um, particularly. I thought that they really looked up for the contest. And particularly after uh, Wilkes got that first goal, uh, it was it was really hard to kind of fathom at half time that uh, we'd be on the, the end of a result um, or, or a loss in, in, in the, the fashion that we were. It just uh, you had that feeling that there was a second one coming for us uh, far more than there was a, an equaliser. And I guess if you look at both of the the Peterborough goals, like they, uh, I guess they were somewhat fashioned in in a surprising manner. And mm. uh, at the end of ninety minutes, even even the way we finished the game, uh, you still kind of got the sense that there was going to be an equaliser. And when Wilkes hit the post again, uh, it, it really just uh, kind of almost felt like we were overplaying our hand, uh, but. We played so in such a positive way that the fact that we didn't get that second goal, I think, was was deflating. But um, in, in so many ways, I, I think that the the performance on the whole brought so much confidence and uh, showed us exactly what uh, we can kind of play like when when all things are are, are clicking. Uh, I, I say that kind of mindfully that we didn't get the result, but I guess there were so many takeaways from that game that uh, that even though it was a bitter to, to feel the loss, I think that it was done in such a positive manner that uh, we were able to take those things and then obviously bounce back against Bristol. So uh, I guess if we were to look at the big picture of, of the last seven days, uh, whilst a negative result, such a positive uh, feeling would still be existing in the, in the camp, I would, I would suggest. Yeah, and, and look, you know, I mean, I think we we played really well against Peterborough in transition. There was a couple of times where we were able to take the ball right up the park from our defensive line, essentially, and and turn it into an attack, which which was really impressive to see. Um, I, I found the difference between this loss and the Fleetwood loss was certainly that we didn't drop our heads to the same extent that we did against Fleetwood, and, and really, as you said, looked a chance of getting a, an equaliser late. Um, and even even just the manner of the Peterborough goals, they weren't as soft as the Fleetwood ones were. I think uh, arguably, arguably perhaps the first Peterborough goal was a little bit poor defending on the part of, um, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Burke or Greaves who was sort of under uh, under or behind uh, Clark Harris when he got that header. But certainly there's not a whole lot you can do about their second goal, which was really just a, a fortunate deflection. Um, but as you said, I mean, 
Wilkes's goal I thought was taken terrifically. Um, he, he then hit the post. He had a couple of other chances as well. So, you know, Doherty had a great chance from outside the box as well. So we certainly had our chances and um, it, it was a really battling sort of performance. And um, we'd sort of said before this match that this was our first real test of the season in the, in the sense that we were playing a team up the top of the table near us um, rather than a, a mid-table, top, mid-table side. So... Um, really promising display and, and really encouraging signs for the side uh, to kick on with. Um, before we uh, do move on to that more fa- uh, more positive win against Bristol Rovers, um, I was just going to give my three MVP votes for the match. And I think it's hard to look past Wilkes for the three votes, um, you know, the, the terrific goal that he scored as well as, um, as, well as his other efforts looking quite dangerous up forward. Um, I'd probably give Honeyman the two, and, and I suspect he's he's already sort of emerging as as a player of the season candidate, he's, he's sort of in the votes every week just from his efforts around the pitch that he's creating chances. His, his running is just tireless and it's just um, fantastic to see. Um, and then I'd probably I'd probably give the one to, um, I'm giving it to Smallwood just because I think he goes a little bit under the radar because he's another one along with Honeyman who, who really holds that midfield together. And um, we were sort of saying last week that it's it's no coincidence that since he's been back in the side, we've looked a lot more defensively solid than we did against Fleetwood. So, um, you know, an, another another top display from him as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd find it hard to to argue with any of those votes. I think one of the one of the the rare finds or the thing that really stands out to me, or the player who is is just performing in a way that I kind of wasn't expecting. Uh, you kind of mentioned Smallwood as uh, as being a, a surprise for just the the fashion he's, but Josh Emmanuel has been has been massive uh, week in week out for us, and really just um, there's such a presence about someone of his stature who uh, is incredibly mobile for his size and really looks yeah. out forward. And he just, um, he has impressed me so much. And it's, it's hard to kind of overlook him for, for points in, in almost every match so far of this season. He's been great to watch. No, definitely. He, he's certainly linking up really well with Wilkes down that right-hand side uh, when Wilkes is playing on that side. So, no, he just continues to impress each and every week. Um, well, we, we'll talk about that Bristol Rovers game now, which um, it seems like whenever we lose a game this season, we really challenge the players to, to bounce back. And um, to be fair, this game didn't get off to the perfect start. It, it got off um, to a manner that was pretty familiar with last season with that that conceding of a goal in the first minute or two of the game. Um, and and you wouldn't be blamed for thinking that we were kind of going down the same road that we had last season with those early goals being conceded and, and then the players sort of dropping their heads. Um, I, I guess the one interesting element of the fact we did make the triple substitution, which um, I'm led to believe is the first time in our history that all three substitutes have scored in a game, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Um, I was a little bit surprised at the time only because we came out from a halftime actually looking much better, uh, much more invigorated and, and, and keen to go out and attack. So um, there was a little bit of danger there from my point of view of, of sort of interrupting that momentum and, and that more positive um, attitude from the players. But and, and of course, also the risk you run with a triple substitution is if there's a if there's an injury later in the game. But, you know, it paid off. McGann took the gamble and it paid off and it paid off handsomely. So how did you see... Um, I guess especially the response to that Bristol Rovers goal and, and how he went on to win the match. Yeah, I think that, as you mentioned, the, the kind of heartache of, of the, the fashion of that loss of Peterborough feeling incredibly hard done by and then to, to fall behind in such an early manner as well. 
Um, I guess the concern was always going to be there that, as you said, uh, the the Fleetwood result is where we're going to drop our heads. And that, uh, if you look at those that forty five minutes in isolation of the back end of the Pe- Peterborough result and then the start of Bristol, there all the signs were there that it could have been one of those moments. Um, we've been uber critical of McCann in the past about some of his uh, decisions as a, as a manager and I guess uh, maybe waiting too long to make substitutions or making like-for-like like swaps when the game really seems in the balance. And I thought that, um, as you said, it was, it was quite a courageous decision. I mean, in, in some ways it was a no-brainer because he, he needed to react in some way um, to, to kind of do it in that fashion and to, to make a triple sub, which is something that we don't often uh, see from him. Uh, we obviously got the result and I think it's one of those times where we have to kind of eat our words and reflect on uh, the guy who's in the in the position and um, maybe there's a lot more to McCann's understanding of League One than uh, certainly ours as we drop down the division and, and try to adjust to, to life. It mm. certainly seems like a, a ready-made fix that maybe he does know this division well and is able to kind of uh, make those more, I guess, courageous decisions than perhaps if he's in the championship um, and maybe feels a little bit more pressure or doesn't quite, um, you know, allow for some of the the differences in the style of football that, that the league one offers to the championship. Yeah. I mean, my, my only thought would be whether he should have made a, a change or two changes at halftime. Um, you know, whether you throw KLP on for Adelican at halftime or, or you throw, um, or you throw, you know, Slater into the midfield. I guess if you wanted a bit more more steel there, I, I just found it interesting because it was only at about the fifty fifth minute, I think. So it seems strange to give ten minutes into the half. It, I'd almost expect if you'd given the ten minutes and the players had still looked really sloppy or, or their heads were down or anything like that, then you kind of go, okay, I've given them the chance to respond, and they haven't. But they seem to be sort of picking up the energy. Uh, Maybe he just didn't say something that he liked in, in Adelican's performance or, um, you know, Magenis, I, I, I don't think he necessarily had a terrible game, but he, he didn't offer as much energy as Eves then did when he came on. Um, Magenis to me in the first half seemed as if he was just, you know, he was getting to the right positions just, uh, you know, a second or two too slow. He just wasn't getting um, to the ball in time to get to, to make the most of the chances. But Look, you know, full credit to Eves when he's come on. He, he's got the assist for Slater and then he's got a goal for himself in the final minute of the game. And um, it, it's what he needed. It's going to give him a bit of confidence now. Um, he he looked as if in the last few games he was really desperate to get on the score sheet and sort of start his campaign in a positive way. And, and he's done that in this game. He, he's got his goal. And, and how do you see that impacting him going forward? Do, do you think perhaps he now comes in as the number one striker? I think it's, it's really hard to overlook, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Is we, if we think about Tom Eaves, uh, he has, I think it's something like 38 goals in, in two seasons for Gillian. He's incredibly prolific at this level. Uh, and I guess he's almost been the forgotten man, so to speak, in the start of the season with uh, the form that Wilkes has been in. And obviously, um, McCann does uh, take a, a likening to Magenis. So I, I think that Tom Eaves is going to be uh, far more vital for us down the stretch. I think that he probably sits in in my ranking of our of our forward line. I think I would put him ahead of Magenis. Although, in saying that, I don't think that Magenis doesn't have a role. I really like the fact that he does throw himself about, um, is a presence and and does know how to sniff a goal every now and then. I, I just do think that with the pedigree and um, I guess the goal return that Tom Heaps does have at this level, 
once he plays himself back into form and, and like we said, if he, if he does pick up another couple of goals on the back of uh, the, the one that he scored at, at Bristol late in the game, I, I think he will yeah, really start to kind of find his form and, and grow in confidence and there's no reason why he can't go on and, and, and give us a similar return as to what uh, Malik Wilkes is providing at this point in time. Yeah, um, and I guess it's also worth noting that um, in the two changes to the side from the weekend, Device and Adelican came back in for Lewis Potter and Greaves. Um, McCann basically said that Greaves was just getting a rest. It's, you know, three games in seven days for young players, um, you know, a bit much for him at that age, so just kind of managing his minutes. Would you Would you sort of, uh, I guess it's a hard one um, on what our, uh, what our best two centre-backs are at the moment, because Greaves certainly hasn't looked out of place when he's played, but... It's also hard to look past Device when 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 he's playing well. Device is certainly capable and certainly is one of our best two centre backs. But um, whether you sort of look at Greaves as as one for the future, who, who's sort of getting the minutes in his legs now and 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 should get that run until he puts a foot wrong. Yeah, it's it's a really uh, difficult decision to make, and I, I guess it, it almost reminds me of the shades of the the time when we had Alex Bruce and Curtis Davies and Dawson and uh, Harry Maguire, and it yeah. was almost one of those times when we knew Harry Maguire was going to be something special, but when was he going to actually, you know, take precedence over some of those guys on the, on, on the roster already. And mm. um, yeah, there will be a little bit of trial and error. I suspect that uh, McCann has, you know, the trusted partnership of, of Burke and device. Um, although I dare say towards the back end of the championship, I'm not so how, how trusted it was. I think that he does tend to favor that perhaps with the incentive that, the two championship players playing in League One, perhaps is how he looks at it. But um, I think from a city perspective, we have to be uh, wrapped with the way Graves is uh, is playing at the moment. And he's, yeah, as you mentioned, he's shown that he can come in and, and not only do a job, but um, he's absolutely capable of, of playing at this level and and perhaps uh, surpassing it eventually. But I, I don't see it as an issue. I just see it as, as such a, a promising um, promising thing for us moving forward, and also knowing the fact that. Device has had his injury problems in the past, and the fact that yeah. we can rely on Graves is um, is a huge asset and bonus for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, I guess for my my MVPs for this match, I'd probably go you know that man again, Honeyman for the three votes. Um, I think he was terrific in in the game again. Um, I think I'll, I'll actually go for Eves for the two. I think just for the for the assist and the goal for himself, it it, it was really um, vital for him to get. Uh, into the game and had that impact. So I think that was terrific to see. Um, and then I'll give the one vote to Lewis Potter, um, who, who's, you know, is a fantastic header to open the scoring. And, and I, I can't, it's it's a funny one. It's like uh, Timmy Cahill for Australia, where it, it's kind of hard to fathom at times how such a short player can get so many headed goals, but he popped up with another one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, again, I, I have to agree with, with all three of those votes. I think the only one as well that I would add, and it's merely because of the goal, was um, was Slater getting on the score sheet too. Yeah. That um, he's somewhat of an unknown quantity uh, amongst the, the City fans at the moment, given the fact that we, we didn't know too much about him. It was somewhat of a surprise signing. And uh, for him to pop up and, and get that goal in, in the manner that he did as well, really... Um, you know, I, I think it, it speaks into this playing group and the potential that does exist there. And um, it's just exciting to watch uh, football again where you can see the hunger. And I think players like him, uh, Greaves that we mentioned coming into the side, uh, th- there's a real youth aspect to it. And um, it just it, it was really promising. Uh, and, and, we've got, and we've got Scott and Samuelson who aren't even making the squad at the moment. Yeah. 
and and as you've already touched on as well with the way that uh, Ken Lewis Potter's playing as mm. well, there is, there there is so much potential in this group, and and something that uh, I guess uh, we almost look like a reinvigorated squad. Yeah, I, I still can't get my head around. I've said it a few times now that it almost feels like we've got a better squad this season than we did in the second half of last season. Um, it, it's it's you know our strategy last season seemed to be recruiting League One players, and that's the same strategy that we have this season. So in a way, we're sort of actually strengthening our squad this season. So um, it is a funny one. Um, and we you know we sort of said at the start of the season as well that you know, as terrible as it is and as negative as it is to be down in League One and we'd always rather be up in the championship, this has now given us this chance, as you say, to almost reinvigorated the squad. We've got this younger, hungrier squad. If we are to go up to the championship next season, suddenly we have a much more cohesive unit to tackle the championship next season than necessarily we had when we fell out of it. Absolutely. And I think that one of the characteristics of all of that that you've mentioned, and it fills me with guilt every week as I reflect on George Honeyman and the player that he is at this level. Uh, it yeah. was really frustrating to to kind of see him getting a start every week in the championship because I just couldn't warrant it or fathom it. And then you look at the the leader that he's become and how much of a central role he's got with, with the younger guys around him. Um, it, it's blowing me away. And it, it's just, uh, it's really refreshing to see a player like that who was uh, very long discarded, at least at least in my mind, uh, to see the role that he has to play in. It's it's great to watch. Definitely, definitely. And, and hopefully it continues throughout this season. Um, he, he's having a terrific season. Um, we'll, we'll move on then and uh, discuss, I, I guess, the main off-field matter to discuss this week is um, the fantastic Chris Chilton fundraiser that's been set up in the last couple of days. I think it's been running for a bit over two days now and it's already raised over £25,000, which is absolutely terrific. Um, Chris Jordan, obviously one of the, the all-time um, greats of Hull City, leading goal scorer for the club, um, who's now struggling with Alzheimer's and dementia and, and really requires 24-hour care, which is um, really heartbreaking to hear about. Um, but it's great to see the amount of support that's already come through from the city community um, and the level of donations that we've already seen. So um, we just wanted to take this chance during the podcast to really promote that. And um, we will tweet out the link again. We, we've already sort of shared it around the last few days, but we'll tweet it out again um, for everyone to hopefully be able to donate to a really worthy cause. Yeah, exactly. And I think, Alex, I can speak for you in saying as well, having been over and, and spent some time in Hull ourselves and, and following the team around, it is an incredibly uh, tight-knit community with mm. a, a really um, great sense of care for each other. And I guess um, the the role that the football club plays in um, in that as well is, is a massive one. And, and what sport means, uh, obviously, Hull being a, a massive rugby league community, but also what that football club does uh, does mean. And it's, it's great to see the people of Hull getting behind uh, that cause. And as you said, it's even for, for the Australians who, who understand what what that is, that place is and, and how many uh, fond I guess, memories and times we've had, um, you know, to consider uh, donating to that cause as well. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any, anything that people can donate is obviously welcome and, and, and goes a long way to, to assisting with uh, Chris Jilton, which would be fantastic. Um, we'll, we'll move on to our uh, player of the week or our, our player in review that we will look at for this week. And I'm, I'm starting to look ahead and thinking it's going to be interesting to see what what we are going to end up reviewing some players that have only just signed, I think, because um, it's going to be more weeks in the season than there are players in the squad. But for now, we've got players who've been with us for at least 
a little bit longer um, with George Long, who uh, who was signed for us back in 2018 now for a pretty modest fee. I think it might have even been for a free transfer. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but in that time, he's now made 49 appearances for us and has kept seven clean sheets. Um, when when we lost David Marshall at the end of the season prior to last, um, it almost seemed quite you know, a foregone conclusion that Long would be the new number one at City. And and he was for uh, essentially all of last season. I think he only fell out of the side for a couple of games near the end when Ingram came in. Um, but it was a really, it was a really odd one because up until I, I sort of look at that uh, FA Cup game against Chelsea as almost the turning point for City last season where everything seemed to be going right up until that point. We had the sellout stadium for the Chelsea game um, we had Bowen and Grzycki obviously in the side at that point. We were, you know, on the cusp of the playoffs. Long had a terrific game that day, and that's actually probably my highlight of his career at City so far was his display in that game where coming up against Premier League opposition, he looked fantastic and um, really looked like he belonged at that level. Um, and then obviously from that point on, sold Grzycki, sold Bowen, everything kind of unraveled um, on the pitch at the club. And Long's form seemed to unravel with it. You know, I guess it can't help for a goalkeeper when you're playing in a game and through no fault of your own, you might be conceding four or five goals against whether it was Leeds or Brentford or a couple of other clubs around that time as well. But with some of the games, it just seemed as if his confidence just completely deserted him and in his form fell away as well. So it's a really tricky one to read considering the fact that Ingram started this season so well. Mm-hmm. Um where do you see Long's place at the club at the moment? And do you see a path back to the number one shirt for him? Or do you see it more now as this is the this is the order and, and he might then need to move on if he wants first-team football? I think it's a very good question in the sense that I think that, uh, as you said, George Long for a, for a long time was unchallenged. And it, it never even seemed likely that Ingram would find his, his place in the side. And I guess if we fast forward now and, as you mentioned, see the start that Ingram has had, um, th- there's absolutely no way that you could justify George Long coming in and, and taking over that number one role uh, on, I guess, at this point in time based on, um, you know, previous performances. Uh, I, I guess that one of the things that I've uh, made the mistake of in the past, I think we're all guilty of it, um, is being wary of a keeper who is out of form as opposed mm. to a keeper who is poor. I think David Marshall has proved that as well. Um, I was, was, was going to say, because it's, it's almost an identical situation to when Jakubovic took over the number one shirt from Marshall and then Marshall came back in and was terrific in the championship, yeah. Exactly right. And, and I think that that's one of the healthiest things for a keeper is the competition. Is So uh, I see it as a positive for the club. Um, it's, it's difficult to talk about George Long personally as far as his commitment to the club, what he's thinking um, obviously, City have dropped down a division and he's no longer the number one choice in League One. So I could see how from how his mind would be looking at, uh, is this the right place for me, um, you know, behind closed doors? And that's, I guess, I guess that's normal. But if we do think about the big picture, all it would take is for uh, an injury to Ingram and uh, George Long to get a chance. He may come in reinvigorated and see that as his, his huge opportunity and and with those cases that we've already mentioned, it's it's not beyond the, the realms of possibility that he could come in and recapture the form that you mentioned um, that yeah. he had shown us glimpses of, like in the in the Chelsea game. So I, I wouldn't write him off, but at, at this point in time with the way Ingram's playing, he's definitely a, um, a distant memory for, for us, uh, you know, with, with seemingly little role to play. But um, 
I would be more than happy for for him to prove prove that wrong. Yeah, definitely, and and I'm sure he'll get his chances at least in the uh, the FA Cup. Where in, incidentally we've been drawn against Fleetwood, so uh, we'll be nice to get a bit of revenge on them. And and I'm I'm sure he'll get his chance in that game. And you know we've also got that EFL trophy, which seems to be perpetually postponed. So I don't know if that's even going to go ahead. But it, it's 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 in in some ways it's an odd one that in League One we've probably got more games to play than we did in the Championship and more opportunity for for these depth players to to really prove themselves. So, as you say, he'll he'll certainly get his chances this season um, and may well may well come back into the side at some stage as well. And and he's shown in the past that he he is a decent keeper and he he would be a dependable number one. And as you say, it, it's almost the perfect comparison to the Marshall and Jakubovich situation previously. So. Um, Look, it's going to be an interesting one, and uh, I guess when we signed Ingram, it wasn't initially apparent that we were essentially bringing in another top quality keeper, as he's turned out to be. Where, as you know, as you say, we've now got this really great competition for that number one shirt that you you otherwise might not have had if it was just a um, purely secondary keeper that was being brought in. Um, so that's that's great to see. Um, we'll, we'll look ahead now to the Swindon Town game this weekend. Uh, we've had our game against Accrington, Accrington Stanley next Tuesday postponed due to COVID reasons, um, which is sort of a welcome midweek break. So we've just got the one game to look forward to now, which is against Swindon, who are the fourth of the four promoted clubs um, for this season. So we've played the other three already. Um, interestingly, I'd completely forgotten that Phil Brown was at Swindon and it was... Um, their current manager, Richie Wellens, who took over from him um, last season and managed to win. Um, I think they finished on top of League Two um, on the points per game calculation that they did, um, which is pretty impressive for them. Um, we also haven't beaten Swindon since 1990, and I think there's been about four or five games between the two sides since then as well. So it's not as if it's just since 1990 that we played them. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to put to rest. I think... I think against Bristol Rovers, we hadn't beaten them at their ground since you know since 1990 or something like that either. So um, it'll be nice to get a few records um, dusted off. Um, but you know, in terms of their form so far to start the season, they've lost four of their last five games. They've only beaten Burton in that time, which, um, given Burton's form, probably isn't the most impressive of results. Um, which would Kind of, you know, it, it gives us confidence. Um, we've done pretty well against the other promoted clubs so far this season, and should be going into this one pretty confident of a result as well. You would think so. I, I think that that's one of the, the difficulties for us as we consider what life in League One looks like. Is uh, I, I guess Fleetwood on paper was probably a, a fixture that we fancied, especially given the form um, and, and travelling there, but. Uh, given the weather conditions and playing on uh, on a very very different field, um, with all due respect to to Fleetwood, um, those types of grounds, and I suspect that the trip to the county ground will be um, very similar fashion. It will be one of those um, those unknown uh, kind of grinding games that we're expected to win. And, and I guess the the challenge of uh, for this playing group will be complacency. Mm. Uh, we start to fly, and 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 people start to talk about Hull City being a big a big fish in a small pond and I guess having the, the table position to match that, all of those teams are certainly going to be up for um, the contest of, of playing Hull City and, and hosting them. And so 
whilst it looks like a, a, a fixture that we should win, uh, particularly on the back of the way that we've been playing and the, even the style of football we've been playing, if we consider the Peterborough game, um, I think this one does present as quite a difficult under-the-radar task. And um, I'm, I'm concerned about it. I'm, I'm optimistic, but I do think that there is a level of, um, of fear that we, we do have to have um, healthy fear and respect for, for who Swindon are. And, and um, even though they are sitting lowly on the, on the ladder, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was much closer and, uh, I guess, concerning than we think. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, in some ways that Fleetwood game um, is a really good one to have in the books because we can look at that with a healthy dose of, this is what can happen if we switch off, if we don't turn up prepared to play, if we don't have that hunger. But it doesn't have the um, the scars that, you know, for instance, the Wigan game last season would have where we did bounce back from the Fleetwood game with two wins. So we can look at it in isolation and use that as a really good message without it sort of causing the players to go back into their shells. Um, Peterborough game was just two good sides going at it and one of them came away with the three points. I don't think we have as much to be concerned about with that one. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's crazy that, I mean, we've played nine games already, you know, so after this Swindon game, we're almost a quarter of the way through the season and sitting pretty healthily in the table. Um, you do sort of have to keep motivating the players and keep that focus so that they're not, um, taking their eyes off the ball and, and starting to assume that we've got results before we win them. Um, but it's all part of the management that McCann's going to have to keep keep working on and keep the players focused and, and motivated because um, we're in a really good position as it stands. Um, if we were to be able to go up automatically, that would be fantastic. Um, but there's a lot of games to go before then. And I don't think we can take too many assumptions based on our start so far. No, absolutely right. And um, I think that also by just adding on to that is if we consider the playing group and uh, I guess the the fact that we do have a really nice balance of youth with a few of those um, well-travelled, experienced players like your, your George Honeymans, your Magenises, um, your Eveses, these fixtures are um, certainly, I guess, it's more capable for us to look at them um, and being realistic and understand that they do present a real challenge and um, getting complacent isn't isn't something that will be you know to- tolerated in this playing group. Whereas I suspect that if we reflect on the championship group, uh, there was probably an element of of complacency in some of the uh, the fixtures and the way that we actually approach those games. Yeah, definitely. I think there was probably an element of thinking we were too big a club to go down, and and that bubble certainly burst. So. Um, I wouldn't be taking any fixtures in this league lightly. Um, you just look at, you know, Sunderland are sitting there in seventh, um, six points behind us, and, and they're in some respects a bigger club than we are, um, and, and they're not finding a very easy league to get out of either. So um, we're in a great position. Um, we've had a good start. We have to use this as a good opportunity to build on and go from here. Um, I guess just before we head off, um, a score prediction for this one or, or how you see this one going? Yeah. I can see this probably being a 2-1 victory and I, I do get the feeling that there could be uh, kind of a, a concerning goal, whether it's early in the game that kind of uh, similar to the Bristol game where we have to wake up. But um, I still see it's being too strong, but I think it will present a, a pretty difficult test for us. So going 2-1 City. I, I'm, I'm probably going to hope for a clean sheet and it might be a bit futile in saying that because... Um, We've been pretty good so far this season. I think the the Bristol Rovers game was a bit concerning with the manner of the goal, just in the sense that it gave that flashback to last season. Um, so hopefully we can tighten up a little bit and keep our focus going. Um, it, it's interesting to see that we're, we're the second top scorers in the division, which I guess 
is kind of natural given the fact that we've won as many games as we have. But it, it's great to see. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe a 2-0 or a 3-0 victory, and, and I'd love to see Eves get another couple of goals to, to keep that run of confidence going for him. And, of course, Lewis Potter's scoring is always a welcome sight as well. So I'll, I'll probably go for a 3-0 victory based on that. Um, and uh, and hopefully we can fulfill that. But um, we'll be back next week to, to cover the result and hopefully it's a win. But until then, um, thanks for joining me, Logan. Not a problem. Great to be here. No worries. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening in. We'll be back uh, this time next week to, to cover the Swindon game. Um, but until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. This is on fire. We're going higher and higher. There's no turning back because you're